Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com with me, your host, Tim Stillman. And as you might be able to tell from my voice, this might have to be a slightly tight podcast in terms of time, which is no bad thing because I'm definitely a waffler on the microphone, but I don't think my voice is going to hold up to much waffling today, um, which is absolutely fine. For those of you who've, who've tuned in and are a little bit tentative about listening to this episode because you don't want a deep dive on the North London Derby, don't worry. We're going to do one question at the top about the North London Derby and the rest is going to be a kind of capsule half season review after that. So um, you might have noticed I didn't write an analysis piece about the North London Derby did that on purpose because nobody wants that content and nobody wants an entire podcast about that. Thank you very much. But we have reached roughly the halfway point of the WSL season. There is certainly a break in play anyway for a few weeks. So a good time to kind of take stock, particularly before Christmas and perhaps pick out some of the themes of the first half of the season. Um, and with me to do that, I'm delighted to welcome someone I've wanted on the podcast for quite a long time, uh, head video analyst of Houston Dynamo, but probably Probably more pertinently for this podcast, um, fan, supporter, watcher, well-wisher of the Arsenal women's team, Carl Carpenter. Carl, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, the feeling's mutual. It's, it's it's great to be on the podcast for the first time. I, I think it's the first time uh, I've been on, obviously. Um, long-time listener as well. And um, I think we, we, we met the first time actually at the, um, the, Euros, at the Euros final in Sheffield. Um so yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. It's uh, it's great to be on. Yeah, and that time in Sheffield, that was the England Sweden semi final, and I had a four a.m. bus back to London. So uh, I was time filling in a Weatherspoons, and uh, Carl and I had a good kind of long chat. Uh, on that particular evening while I was trying to drink enough pints to keep me awake, but not so many that that would be a very unwelcome thing for a four-hour coach journey. So slightly more salubrious and comfortable uh, scenario to have this conversation. But Carl, you flew over. Uh, oh, and first of all, we should say as well, t- today's a special day, Carl. Can you tell the listeners why it's a special day? Uh, yeah, it's, it's my, my 30th birthday. So, um, I finally reached the, uh, the end point for me. It's all, it's all going downhill. I felt it on my run through Hampstead Heath this morning that my joints weren't exactly, weren't exactly cooperating like they should, but, um, yeah, it's, it's good to be on and, um, it's, you know, it was great to talk about the Arsenal regardless of what day it is. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not to scare you, but as soon as I turned 30, um, I developed a hip problem, which meant I couldn't really exercise anymore. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully the same fate doesn't befall you. But I'll use, I'll because- use it while I have it. I'll use it while I have it. For sure, so. <laughs> so, look, the North London Derby, a bit like the sun, don't feel like we should look at it for too long. But 
you flew over the morning of the game and, and were at the game. And, and I should say at the top as well to uh, send our best wishes uh, to the, the woman who was taken ill during the game. Um, understand she's been in hospital and is, is broadly okay. But, um, you know, there's more information about that on the Arsenal Women Supporters Club feed. Um, but we probably won't say too much more than that other than to wish her well. But, Carl, that game, I'm only going to ask one question about it because I spoke to Jonas afterwards and I kind of said, where do you draw the fault lines in terms of this is a game where Arsenal have 31 shots, they create, your mileage may vary on XG, but around about 2.5 according to Opta and you lose 1-0 and on one hand, you could put that down as a bit of a freak result, but at the same time, maybe not. And he kind of said in a roundabout way, 90% of the time we win this game, but we have to look at the other 10%, which is efficiency in both boxes. What did you come away from the game feeling, or at least in the days since? Do you think that was a bit of a freak and a bit unlucky, or do you think it was um, symptomatic of wider issues for Arsenal that might be worrying? I think they were, I think there's, there's kind of two takeaways. Obviously I kind of agree with Jonas in terms of it was a game that they probably would if there was a couple chances. Um, I was actually behind the goal with the supporters basically of the second half primarily where obviously we had a lot of the ball. Um, and it seemed a lot of the touches were off in terms of final third, some of the decision-making about when to slip in runners and when to actually to go for goal. Some of the shots, there was a, a pullover shot. I remember from the edge, which was probably the, the wrong choice in the scenario. And that probably happens where, you know, five, if, if you have that number of, of scenarios in a match more often than not, you'll slip in a runner and find a shot on goal. Um, I do think that it's, it's funny because obviously with, with the mid season review for us, it's been, the season has been kind of bookended by obviously the starting off to not qualify, qualify for the champions league and then the home games, the middle has been broadly positive, you know, how many straight wins and then obviously ending it now um, with the Tottenham defeat as well. Um, I think that the the sort of issues that we saw in the final third were issues that we saw at home to Aston Villa, even though it turned around at home to Liverpool, um, even Bristol City away, where a lot of those fine margins in terms of player relationships, obviously with players coming back, Beth Mead's coming back, Viv's coming back, um, those kind of relationships are obviously going to take some time to develop. Um, so I think that was probably the kind of the warning signs that we'll probably see hopefully right and right the ship as we go out throughout the rest of the season, as players come back, they, they get fitness, they understand there's, there's more time to, to actually work on those relationships. Yeah. And um, I did, uh, we, we haven't made this podcast a mailbag edition, but I did a kind of mailbag on our Substack this week. And one of the reasons I really like doing them is because you get a real sense of what's on supporters minds. And one of the things several people asked about Arsenal against deep blocks this season, because as you pointed out, there was the defeat to Liverpool. It took a long time to turn the Aston Villa game around, Bristol City, some of those games earlier in the season. Arsenal did struggle a little bit against deep blocks and against Tottenham. You know, most of the time they faced a deep block as well. And I think it's fair to say it has been an issue. How much you you referenced it there, like about player relationships. Arsenal have changed their striker this year. They're working with a very different type of striker, I think. How much do you think that is that that will write itself over time in terms of player relationships. Because I, I always felt that Arsenal might be a bit... Like when you bring in eight players over two windows, 
that's very exciting, but I do think, and no one likes hearing it, but I do think it causes you a bit of short-term turbulence. But I guess the issue with the Spurs game is it felt like Arsenal were improving and perhaps leaving that issue behind them. And like you said, I think maybe against Liverpool and Villa, we started to spam crosses. And in this game, we started to spam shots a little bit and panic a bit. So how much, with your analyst side, would you put that down to those relationships forming? And how much do you think maybe there's maybe there's something in Jonas's style of play that, that makes that an issue? I think from the starting point, we've been so used to the last couple of years of having um, the base of our midfield be Kim Little and Leah Valti. And obviously the starting point in terms of both dynamics of them, they're very good possession though helping helping Arsenal kind of switch play in the final third. And when we have Kira and then we have Palova as well, they're much more willing to actually drive and take the initiative on the ball. And that can be a lot of positives as well. But a lot of times that we saw in the final third against Tottenham is that we would build down the right and basically we would finish attacks down the right only. We wouldn't be have that kind of that kind of balance in terms of switching out play, being a little bit more patient and um, you, you obviously you tell when you're actually amongst the crowd that the patience for, for, for the crowd, they, they want to see shots on goal. They want to see actually drive an initiative. And while um, I do think the game changed as well when Palova came off, but also not having that sort of that metronome, that metronome that we have in midfield normally with Kim um, and then Leah to kind of keep and trying to be patient, find the best opening. Cause obviously as a defensive block for Tottenham, the worst thing they want to do is have to move side to side and shift laterally. Um, so I think from a starting point, the kind of the base in midfield is obviously a big difference. With you said, with with changing our center forward, obviously Russo is is much more of a, a player who's kind of willing to be a little bit more associate of associative with their with their link up play, kind of dropping off than we might, might have been used to with um, with uh, Black, uh, Stina Vaccinis. But um, and obviously we've we've had we've had Viv in that role, which is but she's more acting as a ten, so it's slightly different. Um, I do think obviously those those kind of relationships take time, and you know we've had such a, a massive injury crisis in the last couple of years that we're not just we're not just throwing in the same players and they're they're getting back to their old rhythm. It's also those players coming in as well as learning how to play with others. So there's less time to actually work with them in terms of those relationships in the final third. I do think sometimes that Eunice's style of play um, compared to to Joe, who obviously we've we've known for for many years before, in terms of it's much more direct by comparison in terms of that, um, and you know, that's obviously going to take some time to kind of to work with. And obviously the new signings would help with that because they're brought into the play a style. They signed him. He signed him to actually play the style of play he wants. Um, but kind of working with, with the existing players as well and, and the new signings is something that's going to be obviously a process. And, you know, if you look at the actual, you know, the actual numbers in terms of all the underlying metrics for Arsenal, it's, it's Arsenal and Chelsea basically one and two for everything. Um, it's just now that we've seen teams that, obviously are able to, you know, Tottenham of a couple of years ago, there would not have been able to put up that performance in terms of age as defensive solidity, as well as actually being able to build past the press that we did. Um, so I think at the margins in terms of that, I've obviously gotten much, much tighter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you put on a few things we'll, we'll come back to um, as kind of themes. And I kind of want to go through each department of the team, really. But before we do that, what's your kind of just your thousand foot, overall I guess capsule review of the first half of the season like you say it's kind of it's been a bit of a valley um almost or a reverse valley I don't really know how that works but um you know maybe a little bit up and down um but what 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 are the things I guess I mean how do you assess Arsenal's 
progress in terms of what you expected. And um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about some of the themes coming out in a bit. Yeah, I think that we're we're pretty much. I think overwhelmingly, I think it's been a positive this season. Obviously, you know, last season was basically a bonus year, and we over overperformed in terms of the expectations based off of losing four key players. Probably your starting right back, Viv, Leo, uh, Leo Williamson, and et cetera. So, we, losing all those players and, and making a Champions League semifinal, I think, is, is sort of like he built himself some cachet. Um, and I think from actually the expectations of where they should have been, which has been putting in a title challenge. Um, competing again, trying to win the FA Cup, and then obviously the Conti Cup as well. Fans see the qualification for the Champions League, which we can get into the actual qualification process and why the it's for the Women's Champions League. It should be expanded, it's flawed, et cetera. Obviously, Arsenal should be there regardless. Um, so I do think that's sort of like the big hit on on that sort of that progression thing of people from afar see that and they say, okay, well, Arsenal are going backwards. And they see that we lose to Tottenham in the final game of the season, but I do think, in terms of um, you know the progress of the group as well, it's it's been it's been positive considering the circumstances of where you know everything has been. Yeah, and I think really last season the squad was too small. Um, by Jonas's admission at the beginning of the season, he said he didn't get everything he wanted, and I think that I think basically it's made the squad build uneven. Where really it should have been, you know, maybe four players in last summer, four players, you know, it should have been a bit more staggered. Whereas we didn't get everything we wanted last summer, so January and this summer have been, you know, a, a bit of a not a, not a trolley dash, but you know, probably been yeah. like slightly uneven. But how do you? And whereas now, particularly with no Champions League football, I mean, the squad's too big. It's literally too big because we've got yeah, Gio sitting there who yeah. can't play. How do you assess like the level of rotation, use of subs, things like that, that really Arsenal couldn't do last year? I, th- I think that obviously it's it's hard from kind of watching on far and just looking at the results side of things. But I do think that the squad management in terms of um, of playing the players has has been better because obviously we, we just have a bigger squad. I think that the issue will come in kind of that second half of the season in terms of ins and outs because I'm obviously you might be more um, well equipped to kind of answer the questions about. I'm sure Arsenal want to add, but that also means that you have to would have to let players go either on loan or permanently. Um, and the kind of question the question is is well, what what will Jonas and the team want to prior- prioritize in terms of of their competitions? I think probably it'd probably be the league, obviously, compared to the cup competitions. So you, you would have to see which players would probably be able to fit in the remaining fixtures in terms of we might need this player to come on in games where we're holding a lead. We might need this player to come on if we're chasing a lead. Um, and then obviously it's obviously there's outside interest as well. So which players will actually be able to get minutes at valuable clubs where they'll be able to fit in and play a style of play. You don't want to loan an Arsenal player to, you know, attacking, for example, just a hypothetical player and attacking forward to play for a Bristol city team, just because they wouldn't get the similar style of play or touches that they would for an Arsenal. Um, so I think internally, that's probably the discussions that are going on amongst the, obviously the recruitment team and then the coaching staff about, you know, what is actually going to, are the rest of our season going to look like in terms of um, squad load? Obviously in the women's game, especially with not, with not being the champions league, there's, there's very few matches left in terms of, you know, the, for a second half of the season comparatively. Um, so I do think that will be kind of the main sticking point of, of who will come in. I think probably the most likely one will probably be geo off the top of my head. We'll definitely need to get games just because they haven't played for 
you know, basically a season and a half now since I joined Arsenal. There's, that's always been an issue. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the biggest the biggest thing I would question for that. Yeah, yeah, I I think Gio will certainly go on, out on loan. I think Catherine Cool. There's a good chance Catherine Cool will go on loan, and I I think she should. Um, I I don't think she'd struggle for interest either. Um, you know, already reported that talks are in advanced stage, not done. Well, I'm not told it's done yet, but Emily Fox. Um, and that a right back was something Jonas wanted in the summer, um, and that's that's been a priority they've revisited, and and I think a, a pretty high class player. Um, that's not filler. That's not squad filler when you bring in a player like that. Um, I think longer term a left winger is um, is certainly on the agenda as well. But there's also there's the Gold Cup in February, um, which a, a lot of people haven't talked about yet. So. Almost certainly going to lose Chloe Lacasse um, mm-hmm. for a month. Probably going to lose Sabrina D'Angelo for a month as well. If Emily Fox comes in, she's probably going to go out again for a month. So I don't know, you know, how that's going to kind of interrupt things. So, um, you know, there's there's a few things to weigh up there that, to, to be honest, I'm not hugely clear on. The only thing I'm definitely clear on is that they've been talking to Emily Fox and that there's a good chance that that will get done. Um Let's let's look then at I think each department of the team. You talked a little bit about the midfield, and I think this is in many ways one of the most interesting areas because, like you said, we've had Kim Little and Leah Volti at the base of that midfield together for five years, and they've played every single minute they've been fit, and a lot of minutes where they haven't been fit as well. Um, and actually, in terms of load management, you know, you saw they both had little knocks in November and they both came out of the team and I think even a season ago they'd have just played through those but because of the the kind of depth um, that Arsenal have in midfield and I guess th- this is a, a question I've been kind of wrestling with and I'd love to get your view on it that midfield below the midfield which is bubbling under with Palova certainly Cooney Cross there's Catherine Cool there as well and it kind of on one hand it feels like that midfield is ready to take over, but I don't think Kim Little and Nia Volti are ready to come out at the same time. And at the moment, and you alluded to it earlier, but they all just provide really different qualities. So against West Ham, what Arsenal really wanted was to spread the play. So they played Cooney Cross because she's great at that. When they played Chelsea, they wanted some of that more considered foot on the ball, know when to slow the game down. So they played Kim and Leah. How are you assessing this kind of midfield rebuild under the existing midfield and whether the existing midfield is in fact ready to go quietly into the night. Yeah, it's 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 tough from that dynamic because A, like you said, uh, Leah and Kim are, are you know, they're professionals. Every pro- professionals want to play every single minute of the can of the game. Um, the thing that complicates it is the way to actually, you know, if that midfield is ready, the midfield under the midfield, um, it complicates matters because at the moment they're not basically letting those two come in and play together. So they're never really getting real minutes under their belt playing and actually working on those kind of qualities in terms of playing together. You're just getting, you know, Leah and Kira or, you know, Kim and Kira or whatever, whatever the, uh, the rotations are. So actually working on that midfield, you only see them in isolation with the current crop rather than actually playing out there. Um, Champions League games, the additional games, if the league was bigger, you'd probably get more minutes to actually do a full rotation in that. And obviously, it's hard to completely say to Kim and Leah, all right, you're, you're dropped. You're not the first team anymore because you you know what you're going to get. And 
throwing them in, you know, throwing the two, the two newbies in against, you know, Chelsea away or Man City away is obviously something that you just, it's a sink or swim scenario. Um, I, I do think that eventually, probably by the end of the year, that they'll they'll establish themselves um, as probably the obviously you know you know it's, a lot of it could be could be forced by by fitness and Kim's Kim's played you know even she went on loan to America just because she loved playing games so much and obviously you know as fit as they keep themselves, it's impossible to keep playing consistently and for for years on years. Um, so I do think that eventually. Um, from my perspective, obviously, I'm not in the coaching staff room, and I, I've, I've known this. It's I always see people reading about Houston in terms of things we should be doing, and it, they don't really know what they're talking about. So I'm probably completely speaking out of turn here. But um, it's easier to basically just to say, all right, now we have to do it now or never. This is the time. If we trust them, we, th- we should we should throw them in together rather than kind of you know giving them a uh, a parent to sit next to in midfield. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, there is that thing about, you know, players won't wait forever. And while Catherine Cool's a bit younger, like Palova's 24, Cooney Cross is, you know, she's a full international, um, played in World Cup semi-final and all of that. So I, I, I think that's really, really interesting. And, and I wonder how long it can, when I say how long it can all survive, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, yes. I don't mean everything's going to, but it, it seems unlikely in the long term. And this is fine and healthy, I think, um, you know, for everyone to just battle it out. But it seems unlikely that in 18 months time, we're going to be sitting there with the same pool of players. Um, I think. Um, so b- before we go to a break then, we, we talked about it a little bit, but obviously Alessio Russo coming into the team up front, that's um, that that's changed things. It's changed the dynamic a little bit of the Arsenal attack. You know, Beth has come back and she largely plays and Chloe Lacasse is kind of a bit of a, a copy of Beth. Um, so not a lot changes when she plays either, which is great. And Caitlin Ford pretty much plays every minute of every game on the left. And I think that's why, you know, unfortunately, Lena Hurtig um, has just had so many injury issues. I, I do think, well, I, I kind of know that left wing is, is something they're going to look at probably in the summer. Um, in terms of, because we knew when Alessia Russo came, she's never been a prolific goal scorer. Now, Jonas has talked a bit about making her a prolific goal scorer. He keeps using the phrase the golden zone to get her more into the kind of 18-yard box and things like that. But what what's kind of, I think, interesting about this is she does, as you said, some of the stuff that Viv used to do up front that Jonas when I say didn't really like like doesn't really fit his style that much but when Viv used to do it there was Daniela van der Donk and Jordan Nobbs running in behind I'm not sure we've got those runners in behind when Russo comes short how do you see this playing out in terms of if again if you were on the coaching staff would your focus be more on Russo staying more in the box or would the focus be Let's get so she does so much good stuff out there. Let's get a focus on getting people running past her. Yeah, I think that um, there's obviously the two ways to look at it. I wouldn't take away personally what Russo does best. I would probably what I would do is make sure that it's tailored into the moments and positionings and positions where it actually behooves the team to actually have runners in behind. So more conservation of movement, basically knowing when to pin the center backs, knowing when to drop off. Um, and as well, a lot of that, a lot of that depth from from runners can also come from the from the wingers as well. So working with the wingers, working with the central, obviously, 
those kind of runs in behind would from the wingers obviously are higher up the pitch because obviously there's space to make those runs from from out to in i'm uh, sorry from from yeah from out to in to basically tackle spaces in there um deeper blocks basically which arsenal will be facing a lot when rooster does drop off you can basically have um those sort of essential midfielders uh, attack the spaces in between the opposition fullback and center backs and those are kind of the areas where i would work with with obviously when they do team shape throughout the week would be areas where you would work with Russo to say, all right, well, you ensure clips. This could be video. This can be whatever their kind of way is on the training pitch to actually work with her and say, you know, in these certain scenarios, we love what you do in terms of dropping off, but it's actually taking away a lot of those kind of place spaces in the golden zones, which we're trying to highlight. So picking and choosing your moments and then working on, and obviously this takes time. This will happen in, in games. Naturally P- players will, will get used to her, will, used to her strengths. Um, in that way and you know knowing when that i if russo drops off i need to hit the space here immediately because even if there's a slight delay in terms of those kind of areas it can be easily you know the team can force you back they can shift across and the kind of a threat is nullified in that way yeah and you know she's working with kelly smith um on the training ground so that's better no one better to work with on that yeah yeah exactly and someone who also was a striker, but not someone who just stayed on the on the kind of penalty spot, but was a number 10 as well. Um, Rene Sleggers, uh, I believe, does the kind of the one-to-one coaching side as well. And I know the strikers work with a goalkeeping coach as well as that. Um, and before we go to a break then, just on the kind of um, staying with the attack, I mean, Stina Blackstenius, she, she played in every single game last season. And I think that was clearly unsustainable and Arsenal needed a striker. Obviously, she's not as prominent in the team, but she is the top goal scorer, um, playing far fewer minutes. But I I mean, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago where I kind of said, I, I think this really suits her, this kind of coming off the bench plan B because of the type of player she is. Again, how how do you assess? I guess how do you assess the attack behind the attack? And I'll in, I'll include Chloe Lacasse in that as well. That that kind of again, unfortunately, Lena Hertig hasn't really been able to be the third part of that jigsaw. But that kind of supporting cast of the attack. Yeah, I think that the kind of profile of players that they are obviously Chloe Lacasse can obviously stretch teams in behind from from wide areas, and then obviously um, and Stina can obviously run in behind. So. In those kind of games where Arsenal might be, you know, one nil, one nil up, teams are obviously going to be tried to just by the way if they're going to have to come in force, which will leave space in behind. Um, but also from from Stina's perspective, I, I do think that she obviously provides an aerial threat. Um, she can, you know, be a little bit more a box presence in terms of just just waiting for the service, like you, you were saying. They were against Tottenham. We were putting in crosses when obviously prior to Stina even coming on, and there was no one there because of Russo dropping off. So I do think that it's it's like a and obviously, you, from my perspective as well, it's, if Stina is scoring off the bench and she's doing it consistently, just do it until it doesn't work. You know, don't try to create problems and try to solve issues that aren't there yet. Um, and obviously, every team is different. You know, Arsenal are going to be facing teams which sit deeper, which is probably why they've, you know, obviously just the player quality as well. Russo is, is probably better than Stina. Um and those kind of her strengths kind of play off the deep block stuff as well. But, you know, game specific teams where teams might be weak on crosses, teams might be leaving spaces behind, you know, the, the Leicester game, I can think of a way where there was acres of space in behind and you needed, needed players to kind of stretch in behind. So that's, that's my perspective. You know, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have that you have a player who's not your top, top player coming on and consistently getting goals and then having a, 
obviously Beth will come inside. You have, you have different profile of wingers and um, it's just sort of the, the coaching team's job to, to come up with the best solution. Um, yeah. And I mean, Lacasse was a player they wanted in January and I think would have just been so welcome because of the similarity in her profile to Beth and Arsenal really had to change things a lot um, when Beth came out of the team. We'll take a short break there. And when we come back, we'll talk about um, the goalkeeper, uh, the goalkeepers, uh, plural, and the defence. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, welcome back to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com. Still with my guest Carl Carpenter. Uh, talked a little bit about um, a little bit about the Tottenham game, a little bit about the kind of the midfield um, in particular and the attack. So we're going to move back through the team now, and I, I'm going to start with the goalkeepers situation now. Online in particular, there was a lot of I felt very very unfair criticism of Manuela Zinsberger. Um, particularly on the goal. I'm not really sure any WSL goalkeeper saves that. And I think a lot of that is preconceived. I think Arsenal need a new goalkeeper. So every time they lose, I'm going to blame it on the goalkeeper type stuff. However, um, I don't think it's, you know, a lot. When we did the kind of mailbags pre-season, so many of the questions were about the defence and the goalkeeping situation. Obviously, there's been lots of speculation around Mary Earps as well and things like that. I have to say in Manu's defence in particular, the only game this season where I think demonstratively the goalkeeper has lost points for Arsenal is the one WSL game that Manu didn't play at Manchester United. And I think Sabs was, was pretty rusty um, that night. What what do you make of Arsenal's goalkeeping situation um, at the moment? And I guess, do you see it as big an issue as quite a lot of Arsenal fans do? I do agree that I think we should, obviously, I think it's kind of a, a mutual thing that at the end of the season, Manuela Zinsberger will probably move on. Um, and I've watched her play because obviously I support the Austrian women's national team. So I've seen her playing for quite some time. And um, it's funny because she, I think that she's benefited from the, from that national team setup where she's the clear number one, where the backup goalkeepers, for the Austrian setup aren't even close to her remotely. She's, you can have your criticisms with her. I do think we should move on, um, but she is still one of the top European goalkeepers. That's that's not a doubt in my mind. Um, it's it's funny because it's similar to to not to not to bring everything to the men's game, but we see it. We've seen it with with Aaron Ramsdale and David Raya, where Sabs was brought in. She started playing games, and you're not sure who the number one is. Um, and they might not be the type of players who kind of welcome that sort of instability. And I think Zinsberger is probably the one who's brought that in. Um, like you said, the only game where I actually thought that the goalkeeper was the reason we didn't get the result was the game where Zinsberger didn't play. Um, it is tough as well because 
the style of play in terms of build up and stuff like that is would probably suit Sabs more. I would say probably because um, Zinsberger, when she's receiving back passes, she's she can rush, she can, she can let uh, players close her down pretty quickly. Um, so, I, like you said, I do think that eventually, just for Beth party, both parties, the, the next thing to actually compete and be is to take all manner of doubt out of the kind of the goalkeeping process there and just kind of move on because. She served us well. I, I don't remember when we signed Zinsberger, probably 2018, the season before we won the league, I believe. Um, 2019. 2019, okay. Um, and she she um, she's never had real moments where she's completely lost us. I, I wouldn't say we, that she's the reason we're not competing with Chelsea for the last couple of years. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think as well it's because there was this kind of sharing model based on the game plan because Sabs is a bit more proactive off her line, long throw, long kick, um, yeah. and tended to play in those games. She started the United game because Arsenal had a counter-attacking game plan. But since that game, she hasn't started another WSL game. And I do think that that's fairly significant. Um, again, I may be a short-term solution in January, given that D'Angelo will probably be at the Gold Cup. But I, I think that that's a situation that probably will resolve in the summer. And I think you're right. I think it'd be, I'd be very surprised if Manu Zinsberger yeah. And I don't think it would help as well that we signed um, we signed Sabs, basically. And there was always thought that we were going to bring in a goalkeeper. But we didn't bring in a clear goalkeeper who was number one we brought in someone who's probably on par with Zinsberger but just had different a different profile of strengths so when you're kind of chopping and changing like that and you know I think it would have helped all parties if it was clear to Zinsberger and clear to the goalkeeper coming in you're our number one you have exactly what we want to play to play to Jonas's style um I think that was probably the, the best course of action yeah, and I think Manu's best form has always been when she's been undisputed number one. I think she was a little bit wobbly when Joe had that rotation policy and every time she's been the clear number one, I think we've seen the best from her. What, what about the defence then? Because obviously there's been a lot of upheaval here. So Leah Williamson injured, Laura Veenreuter injured, Hafaeli left. So that's like three quarters of the defence kind of wiped out in one fell swoop. And Arsenal seem to have at the moment, you know, built this partnership between Wubba and, and Amanda Illestet. I think it's fair to say that took a little, that took a few games, which I think is, is kind of... Um, which is to be expected, really. Leia Kadena hasn't really staked her claim yet, but I think there was always going to be some adaption for her. What have you made of the defence? Because this is one of the things as well. So at the moment, Arsenal have conceded 10 WSL goals from an XG of 7.6. So in one respect, again, you could say that Arsenal are a bit unlucky and the numbers show that maybe things will calm down there. But Jonas has been asked about this this season. He, he does reference, you know, we seem to score, we seem to concede from almost all the, the shots that we, we kind of have at the moment. But when that keeps happening, is that just bad luck? Is that just variance that will even out? Or do you think there's something else there? Yeah, I think that losing a player of like Leah Williamson is, is going to be tough to replicate because that kind of throws the spanners into works. And as well, we've basically had to adapt with losing, you know, you know, we've, she's done obviously the well, the role well, cause she's a quality player, but Katie McKay playing on the right, you know, she should probably, she's adapted her role that way. So I think that that kind of positioning and, and center backs partnerships are all about exactly that partnerships. So if you're losing one kind of key element and, you know, 
you're basically losing the, the key kind of commutator in terms of when they're, when to push, when to drop, when to step, when to, et cetera. I think that that kind of creates a lot of issues and the spine of the team is probably the most important element in terms of that. So I think that, that Lata and um, Amanda have done well in kind of their individual moments. Um, we know, we know the kind of the, the flaws that they have, at, you know, singularity, but it, it just when actually on possession, when they're in terms to, to actually build attacks, um, I think they've been very good, but it, the problems have been when it's been sort of that indecision of, all right, well, if you're stepping, I'm going to have to drop off. And there's kind of been indecision in that way. Um, and that all, that obviously manifests itself in the fullbacks. So if we if can see it from across, the fullbacks are unclear if they're able to actually step to the ball because they're not sure if the center back is actually going to shift. Um, and kind of, like the, the, kind of like the rest of the team, I think a lot of it's just going to be down to, to actually time being played. When Leah, Leah Williamson's going to come back, um, I think that will obviously clear things up, but she's, she's going to be the kind of the, the key, the key reference point in the back four. Um, but now it's basically two players basically learning who they are, like learning their, each other's first names as well as kind of learning the, the individual strengths who has. Um, so like another, I guess, theme of the season, a, a slight surprise under Jonas Arsenal have always been very, I mean, they've been left-sided bias in terms of the fullback pushing up. Um, but at the same time, he has such an emphasis on width and the fullback supporting the wide players. But we have seen Katie McCabe come in at right back and kind of invert a little bit into midfield as well. And, and actually, even at left back, I think she's done more of that this season as that kind of support midfielder. I mean, clearly that isn't Jonas's long-term plan because he's about to, he's trying to bring in Emily Fox, who I know she inverts a little bit from what I'm told and she likes to pick up those spaces. What do you make of that development? Yeah, I think it's been, been, a, been a positive development because I think that the one thing that um, has probably not, and especially on the right-hand side, because what Illichet has is, and she has a lot of qualities, but one of them is certainly not pace in terms of covering transitions in behind. Um, and I think that, kind of that positioning we see it with every team which kind of inverts the fullback it, it, it kind of adds an extra um an extra body in midfield to to protect against counters um so naturally sitting in front of that kind of space and kind of preventing the counter before it happens is a positive way um her passing range from anywhere regardless of where she is on the pitch is quality she can get service in she can she can play in the line she can we thought against tottenham when they were pinned were pinned deep where she can actually run and hit the seams in between the center back and the fullback um so i do think that kind of that adds an extra element in terms of the attack um and that makes teams have to kind of narrow their shape as well which will will, will put the wingers into iso- isolated one v one moments which we know beth and and um and caitlin are very good at regardless of what side they are um i do think that the biggest thing and we i think we've seen it more lately as as she's kind of learned that role early on i think that we were more exposed and teams were basically hitting those kind of the balls in the in the channel behind the fullback when they were we were getting double width from both of them but now that she's come inside we've been been able to um to cover up and sweep up sweep up those transitions a lot easier yeah i think the speed with which katie mccabe learns to play new positions is I think, I think incredible. I think if we needed to sign it, I think we could just get her to play goalkeeper over the summer and yeah. she'd probably be our number one by the end of it. So, and If we didn't have like 15 central midfielders, I, I think she could play there as well. I, I really think she could play pretty much anywhere. But a couple of quick hits then to finish as we kind of wrap up our half-season review. Who have been 
you can mention more than one if you like, but your kind of standout players for the first half of the season. I would say, from my perspective, um, Pelova just she's been a joy to watch. I think watching her play and receive in tight areas and kind of wriggle out of pressure. And the hardest thing for a team to do is when you've actually pressed the team into a good area and then one player breaks it individually and they can, and Pelova could do that um, extremely well. We saw that at the, um, the last home game, I believe um, she, she, I think she beat four players just on the turn. It was a, sorry, it gets Chelsea, it gets Chelsea. She basically broke Chelsea's press just by, by turning into that. Um, and I do think that Lata, Lata Wubamoy basically, uh, has kind of taken, um, obviously, f- for most of the kind of the early parts of the, of the year, um, of her, sorry, her time at Arsenal had been sort of as a rotation option, but I now think now that she's kind of taken that position by the scruff of the neck. And when Leah comes back in, obviously, I think that'll be probably the preferred partnership. Um, the understanding of those two is, is obviously much more natural because they've played together for, for years. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are probably my two, my kind of my two standouts, um, maybe alternative takes, but I, I do think that they've been my, my favorite to watch from just their development standpoint. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Lotta, you know, she she has actually played a lot of football the last two seasons just because of injuries to, to Leah and Haffer. But I, I think you're right. I think she's got to the age of 24. She's seen an opportunity here and she's really, really taken it. I, I think if you polled most Arsenal fans, those are the two names that would come out um, most strongly, I have to say, um, as as well as, you know, a number of others, I think, who look really exciting. And I, and I do think Beth Mead has come back to a level I really didn't expect to see this side of Christmas. I always had in my mind, maybe January, we start to see, you know, the real Beth Mead a bit more, but I, I think we've got her a lot quicker than that. Um, yeah. and, and also just to add, it's, it's, it's fun seeing having wanted Arsenal to have Alessia Russo for years now, having watching her play at college at the university of North Carolina to actually now playing for Arsenal is, is great to watch obviously because it, it obviously weakens man United and we get to, to brag about that, but it's, it's just fun to watch uh, us have a, you know, a, a true star in our, our hands with her. So. Yeah, I'm building, you know, if Emily Fox joins, that's a real Tar Heel community um, we're building. What, what, a, what a, a legacy for Hayo that is. Um, Final question then, as we wrap this up, what what one thing would you like to see this team focus on in terms of improvement in the second half of the season? I would like, um, I think, not to bring back on the Tottenham game as well, but I'd, I'd like to see us be a little bit more adaptive with uh, actually how we press teams. Um, I do think sometimes we are a little bit overly gung-ho in certain areas where we're, we're confident in our ability to actually press out and win the ball. Um, there's, there's times I think, I think Chelsea to obviously, um, I hate to bring Chelsea into the Arsenal podcast, but I do think the best, the best, um, element of Emma Hayes is that she's very adaptive with looking at the quality of our team and actually being willing to actually sit in and actually play a little bit deeper. And I think with the players we have now, I do think that we can actually kind of live in transition moments a little bit better. Um, so not being so over overtly kind of, um, you know, within the Arsenal game model, we want to press high. I think that's that's kind of a, a non-negotiable, but being times of being comfortable with, you know, either game state or quality of opposition, just being a little bit more adaptive because that'll put less pressure, like we saw on the kind of the defensive side of our team. Um, and um, so. Yeah, I guess a little bit, again, going back to the, to you know, to draw a comparison with the men's team, Klopp's Liverpool, I think, once they got about three seasons into his reign, it was like, okay, 
I don't need you to press at a thousand miles an hour for every minute of every game. Like we can drop back into our shape a little bit. And yeah, I, th- I think I agree with that. I look at the Aston Villa game, for example, and I thought, you know, Arsenal picked a pressy team that day. And I kind of looked at it and I thought, uh, we know that Aston Villa are going to sit in. Do we need to do that? Like in the first 20 minutes or so. Um, so yeah, I, I think like, I think once a team starts to get comfortable with the style, you can almost come away from the style. Um, and, a little and, bit and, 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 and naturally the way that we actually play, the way that we actually get bodies around the ball, it suits itself to counter pressure as well. So if you're just, if you have defensive access, i.e. you're basically very close to the ball because you're creating passing angles, that suits itself well. And then that's the next stage of that is obviously what we've seen where I kind of, I kind of mentioned with KD kind of inverting inside, you, you have that sort of rest defense, that defensive structure behind the ball. And those are the kind of moments where you can, you can lose possession in tight area because you're trying a risky pass and then you have bodies around you keep and you keep the team pinned and you constantly keep it there. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and and I think things that Arsenal will work on and I'd be really interested to know exactly the things that Jonas is really looking at probably as we speak over this little break before the team go off to Portugal in early January for a little training camp, which is something they haven't done um, actually before. And given that Arsenal usually have been slow, I think, to come back from the Christmas break, I think that's a good idea. And they've got a couple of friendlies lined up against, I believe, Feyenoord and Frankfurt, Viv Miedema said in the Dutch press. So, um, you know, I imagine those will be cl- behind closed doors, but I'll try and find out the results of those if I can. But nevertheless, Carl, I've kept you for longer than I said I would. And I think both of our voices are probably about to give out. And we've both <laughs> gone a little bit Sean Dyche here. So on that note, I'm going to thank you so much um, for joining the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And that's all we've got time for this week. We will do another podcast probably in early January, um, just ahead of the FA Cup tie against Watford on 14th of January. Maybe we'll take stock and look ahead to some things. And if there are January signings, we will do podcasts on them um, as well. So maybe it will will depend on how quickly we get uh, certain deals over the line. But until then... uh, Great festive season to you all. Thanks so much for your support and for listening and downloading in 2023. Please do leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the Arsenal Women Arsecast, give us a bit of love because, you know, we're on the main feed and uh, the Arsecast clearly gets a lot of love, so it doesn't really need it um, anymore. But until next year, thank you very much and we will see you again soon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.